Welcome to Now I See, a place where people share their eye-opening moments and how it changed the way they see themselves, their world, and their place in it. We hope you'll be encouraged and inspired by the stories you hear and challenged to see things in a whole new way, too. Sit back and enjoy this show that we've prepared especially with you in mind. I'm your host, Kit McCarty. Today's guest is J.J. Orsak. Welcome, J.J. Thank you. J.J. Orsak lived a pretty typical life until the unthinkable happened in December 2018. He was a daredevil who liked firearms, fast cars, loud bikes, and living dangerously. He served several years in the Navy in munitions and aviation mechanics, and when he returned to civilian life, he became licensed as a master electrician. He married Sharon, his high school sweetheart, and together they have two children and three grandchildren. I'm going to let him tell you what happened, but before I do, I want to tell you how I see him. J.J., you're still a bit of a daredevil, but you are resilient, creative, resourceful, practical, and hopeful. How do you see yourself? I see myself as a normal, hot-blooded American male. I mean, life is not meant to be boring. My life has been many things. Boring is not one of them. <laughs> no, no. Before the mics went on, you told me some of your adventures and they're pretty hair-raising. <laughs> tell, tell us about some of them. What were some of the things that made your uh, life not boring? I got my first job at 13, working at a gun range. I uh, bought my first car at 15. In the two years in high school, I went through three cars. Uh, my One of my motorcycles, I got run off the road on Interstate 45 and walked away. Uh, I have flipped two vehicles upside down and walked away from both. Uh, those are some of not dull, not boring parts <laughs> of my life. You do know there are some people that get all the way to 30, for example, and oh. don't have catastrophic <laughs> incidents on the road. You know that can happen, right? <laughs> I, I believe you. Not for you. <laughs> not for you. Oh, my gosh. So, so hair-raising. What made you a daredevil? Why do you like to take risks? Uh, it's hard to say what exactly pushed me in that direction I was one who always liked going faster and grew up watching Eva Knievel and wanting to do things of that nature so when opportunities presented themselves you take advantage of what you think you're capable of sometimes a little more than you are capable of Dukes of Hazard was very popular when I was getting my driver's license. We used to joke that maybe that would have been a better driver instructor for me. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I watched that show quite a bit. See, there you go. It's inspiration. Life, life does follow art. Um, so do you think that you've always been a risk taker? Were you as a little kid or did you discover um, that as you got older? You just liked the challenge but, uh, or you liked the adrenaline I rush? never saw it as... So much as taking risk as being a risk taker. Okay. I just saw it as wanting to do certain things and being willing to take the risk mm-hmm. to be able to do them. Mm-hmm. So I can look back now 
and see that, yes, I got to do a whole lot more than a lot of people and was willing to take the risks that a lot of people weren't. Mm -hmm. But for me and the group that I ran with, that was more normal than... So there wasn't really anything out of the ordinary. There wasn't any risk-taking the day that your uh, accident happened. Tell us what happened that day. No, ma'am. That day I was changing light bulbs and ballast in parking lot light poles. Uh, The poles were tagged out, had them turned off. There was no chance of being electrocuted. I was driving from pole to pole, changing light bulbs. Uh, The back parking lot was the largest parking lot. had three driveways coming off the street. The middle driveway pole was burnt out. I drove down the street and pulled in to the pole, lifted up to the pole. When I reached out to open the pole, the fixture, that's when I found out that my the boom of my lift had come in contact with the 7,000-volt line that ran down that street. That line shorted out through me, burned in half right away, thank goodness, and that's how I lost both my arms, or an arm and a half. Lost both hands. Wow. So, and you were all alone that day? Yes. Uh, maintenance-wise, there was only, there's only one person there on weekends. Mm-hmm. Well, because only one needed to be. Typic- right. Is that typically what happens on that particular job? Yes. So, I, I can't even, there's so many questions here. I don't even know where to start. What did that feel like? Uh, didn't feel anything. Thank goodness. Uh immediately went into shock i remember maybe body the first shock five minutes and mental shock I, or just body shock you just didn't just, feel it you just yeah but you were aware that something had happened okay. i was aware I, I may remember maybe the first five minutes and then i was conscious all the way to the emergency room but i have no memory after the first five minutes wow so what did that feel like i mean you you knew clearly right away when it happened and what happened? It, what specifically? I did not know exactly what happened. Uh, just it had blown me back, and something had shorted out. But I didn't, at that in that frame of mind, being in shock, I didn't recognize that it had been that power line. So I looked at my hand, and I looked down at my body, and I saw the the hole where clothes used to be uh, and it, I, there was a hole of bare skin with the outside of that hole of clothing on fire and small flames I was able to put out the right side but I could not put out the left side and those small flames turned into big flames burned my my shirt my clothing up over my left shoulder from the waist all the way up over the shoulder and so you were stuck there uh, because the equipment had also shorted out. You couldn't get down. Yes, I had had a cell phone. I had a walkie-talkie, but I couldn't use either one of them. I couldn't work the controls of the lift. Coming to find out, the lift wasn't the controls weren't functional. It had been shorted out. I was able to talk to a person I knew that worked there, the facility asked him to call 911 
and getting me down. And that's the last thing I remember. You didn't call 911. Oh, no. Oh, my gosh. Oh, no. Like I said, I had no way. Oh, I guess calling. not. I guess not. Yeah. So he got on the radio, called security. They called the airport fire department, said, get over here. We got a guy on fire. The fire department sent over multiple trucks. The first truck to get there was the water truck. It did not have the big ladder on top of it. So they could not reach up to me. I'm 30 feet in the air. You don't put water in an electrical fire anyway. Right. So had to wait for the other truck to get there. And they extended up to me, put the fire out, unhooked me. I was wearing a harness and tied to the lift. They unhooked me and said I walked myself down their ladder to get back to the ground. Oh, my word, but you don't remember that. I have no memory. Uh, That was December 22nd, and I don't have another memory until February. Wow. So right before Christmas, and so many things were happening. I mean, you had plans for Christmas. I I did. So so tell me a little bit about the situation. What was happening at that time? My... My first grandchild had just been born two days prior, and my son, his father, was in the Navy, stationed in Virginia, and me and my wife had already bought plane tickets to go up and see them in, later in January after the holidays. Uh, so that's what I was thinking about that day when I was out going pole to pole. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And everything, of course, had to change. Um, so you said you what were your first memories when you came back to your awareness uh, you were at Parkland I was hospital, at Parkland in, a unit. in a bed and uh, had no hands no arms uh, my right arm was a little bit below the elbow and my left arm was three inches from the shoulder so I really had no left arm when I came to and trying to learn to operate the buttons on the bed that raise and lower and by using my residual nub that is still sore because it's a fresh wound and those are some of my first memories. Did you freak out when you looked down and you saw you didn't have hands? I knew I knew I it uh, it wasn't a big shock whether I remember that memory somewhere in the back of my mind of it actually happening because I do remember mm-hmm. the first five minutes. Mm-hmm. So waking up without my hands, I accepted and was just grateful that I did wake up. Wow. Wow, that's really amazing. Um, you came to acceptance quickly. Did your family? You said there were a lot of people from your church, your your wife, your mom, who came to see you. What, what was their response? Um, they, best I remember, they accepted it, and they just wanted to help me get through it. They, I believe, expected me to have a harder time of accepting it than I actually did. Why didn't you? Because because you're a daredevil, because well, you were used to taking risks, and I'm, so it didn't I'm scare used to you. Doing what it what needs to be done, period. You need to dig, you dig. You need to do something else, you do something else. So when I was able to actually get up out of bed and told you you need to walk, 
I got up and I'd walk the halls. And before I left the hospital, they were amazed that I could sit up straight because of my scarring. And I was like, I was fortunate enough to develop the habit of sitting straight when I was younger. So now that's just what I want to do. So I was able to stretch out the scars that hadn't fully formed at that point and was able to sit up straight. So without getting too gruesome, just because I have so many questions, tell us um, about your recovery journey. I mean, you, you've shown me your legs uh, where they had to open the skin because the swelling was so intense because everything swelled up. I, I, I don't know that everybody knows that that's part of a burn response. So, and that you were able to get back on your legs, get back on your feet so mm-hmm. quick so that you could walk around. Tell us about the process of going from uh, discovering you had the burn and the amputations to actually leaving. What kinds of well, things did you do? In the ele- in a lot of electrical accident like mine, where you have thousands of volts I had two different types of burns. I had interior electrical burns from the heat of that those 7,000 volts. But then because my clothes had burned from my waist to my shoulder, I had third degree exterior burns. So I'm glad that I don't remember the month they spent getting the dead skin off and scraping the burns, which is required. Uh, but I am thankful that they did. Mm-hmm. Um, I said, I realized that I was still alive and that I wanted mm-hmm. to be alive. Mm-hmm. So I got up out of bed and I walked when they told me to walk and did what they asked me to do. Uh, it has been challenging learning to do things without hands that uh, is something I don't recommend. (laughs) No, and I've seen you navigate quite a few things. I mean, you drove yourself to our recording location today. I've seen you operate a phone. I've received texts from you, so I know that you are able to do so many things. What were some of the challenges um, when you first started using your prosthetic? When I first got my prosthetic, I was was fortunate enough to get a what's called a myoelectric meaning it's battery powered and it operates off of two sensors that are connected to the muscle remaining muscles i make one muscle to open and i make another muscle to close learning to make those muscles on demand and not make them when i don't want was a process. I wondered because you do it so naturally. I, now. I, I dropped a lot of drinks. Oh, I, gosh. yeah, because you pick it up and then you accidentally make another muscle and it right. opens and right. it's on the floor. Sure. So, and then uh, I still have challenges uh, of all things with electrical interference, but that's a whole other story. So just day-to-day functions, um, you feed yourself? Yes, I, I can eat. I can get food out of the refrigerator and put it in the microwave. 
I do require assistance opening certain containers. Oh, I do too. And <laughs> Pickle jars. So, <laughs> yes, screw lids are problematic for me. Uh-huh, uh-huh. But uh, I can open, open a lot of things and have learned to be humble enough to ask for help. Well, and that that we're going to get to that because I know that had to be a huge part because um, you were so independent and doing so many things on your own. Um, getting dressed, do it by yourself or with help? I get help most of the time. My wife helps me get dressed before she goes to work. Um, I can. Mm-hmm. Uh, with certain clothes, there are certain clothes that I have to have help with, mm-hmm. but what I wear most every day, I can put on by myself. Mm-hmm. I have what's called a dressing tree okay. that was installed at my house after the accident that helps me uh, put clothes on or take them off. Okay. Personal grooming, brushing your teeth, washing your face. Um, brushing my teeth is still a chore with my myo because you operate muscles differently. Uh-huh. It's hard to get to keep hold of the brush while you're brushing, but uh, that's well, something just, I'm getting down. Just where the prosthetic is, it's like right at the elbow, and so just having the mobility to to move your body in such a way as to bring um, the when they installed my dressing tree, they also installed a flexible arm forget the name of it but it holds my razor and I'm able to turn on my electric razor and shave my face and then turn you it can off. do it yourself I can do it by myself nice nice oh my gosh um, and for our listeners who can't see him he has a very nicely trimmed beard mustache so I'm really impressed I'm really impressed um so you had to make a lot of modifications to your home as well you were you had just moved into a home you that um, it had to change doorknobs from round knobs to levers um what were some other modifications that you had to make um the kitchen faucet instead of yes instead of having round knobs or even lever knobs we've got a uh, touch good faucet once you turn it on you can touch it to turn it off and then back on as long as the it's in the on position Mm mm-hmm what other adjustments have you had to make? Is there uh, anything that surprised you? Or anything that still takes getting used to? I imagine everything. Uh, it, it, just, yes. It, it, it's probably easier to list the things that haven't had to be adjusted. There was a lot, getting a lot of getting used to. There still is. But whatever you want to do, you figure a way to do it. Or you don't do it. And that's what I've come to to realize that if I want to do something I've got to find a way if I if I don't find a way then I'm not going to do it so well you still love fast vehicles you had to modify your truck I did I drive a much slower truck oh good that makes me feel better my (laughs) truck is currently a six-cylinder where I was a v8 person most of my adult life Mm -hmm. but uh my truck got modified uh, where I have a ring on the steering wheel that's like the old mm-hmm. trucker knobs mm-hmm. that rotates. And then 
I have a button on the floor that allows me to operate the turn signals, allows me to operate the windshield wipers. So uh, makes driving fairly easy. And you enjoy it? I do. I do enjoy driving, being able to go by myself again. For the first year, I had to have a ride, had to wait yes. for somebody, had to ask somebody, had to. I was very dependent at that point. So it was a good feeling to become independent. Absolutely. Well, listeners, we're going to take a break right now. And in a moment, we will be back to hear the rest of JJ's amazing, amazing story. JJ may have lost his arms, but he gained something most people could go their whole lives and never find, like who his real friends are, how strong he could really be, how important faith and humility are to happiness, and what things are really important in life. Like JJ, we at Now I See, to a much lesser extent, are also on a learning curve, and we're counting on our friends for help. We're asking for your good rating and review and for sharing and recommending this podcast to your friends. We'd love to have you sign up for our weekly newsletter and monthly Bible study. We'd also like to have you join our discussions on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at NowICPod. We're hoping you'll browse our ever-growing library of featured authors and their great summer reads, which you'll find when you click on the Authors tab. We're also asking for your help in raising funds for Bridge Builders International's Rescue, the work that they're doing with the Ukrainian refugees, with Nathan Oluumu's orphanage in Kenya, and the Typhoon Relief for students in the Philippines. When you visit our site at nis.media, click on our Featured Causes tabs to see various ways you can support the people and organizations we've featured on our shows. You might be wondering how you can help JJ. We'll give you that information at the end of our show today. The best part of this show is still ahead, so let's get right back to it. We're back from our break with our guest today, JJ Orsak. So, uh, JJ, we were talking a little bit before the break about how hard it was to ask for help. You know, you were so independent uh, before all of this happened, and then suddenly you weren't. Tell us about that transition. It's not so hard to ask for help as it is so hard to accept the fact that you have to ask for help. And you have to ask for help for so many things at this point. That was the hard, hardest part for me to accept, uh, to get over. I have gotten over most of it. I can't say that I'm all the way over. But uh, being able to pick something up, being able to open something, being able to do the simple things that I that everybody can always do. It's. Uh, Does it complicate things when people try to do things for you you can do yourself? Yes and no. Um, people try to help, and there, it's it's a good feeling when I get 
strangers want to help and offer. Uh, if I spend any time with them, they see I'm able to do certain things, but I don't mind getting help. Has it been awkward when people come up to you and ask what happens, or do people not ask? Um, a lot of times they don't ask, but I, I've got to the point where I don't mind when people ask. I don't mind explaining what happened, mm-hmm. how it happened. Uh, I do find more kids ask or want to ask. Adults, I can see some of them want to ask, but they're not going to. Oh, that's so. interesting. I think kids probably feel more free to do it. and they're, I, th- I think we're all curious um, that, yeah, that they have the freedom to do it. And how does it make you feel when people ask? Do you want people to just look at you like they did before? Or no. do you appreciate the fact that people see you for who you are now and see how you've overcome so many things to get where you are? Uh, I appreciate the acknowledgement of what happened and that I am still here and still able to function at the level I, I do. I'm not near the level I was, but I am still moving forward. Well, and so. you're still really new in this journey, I imagine, um, as technology changes and as you try more things. You were telling me you were shoveling in your backyard, doing landscaping in your backyard. I, I can't even imagine. But when you, sh- when you demonstrated it, when you showed me, I thought, okay, I get it. So I imagine that you will be on a journey for a long, long time of discovering the things that you can do. Yes, um, yes. And that's kind of exciting to see, you know, to meet a challenge, because I know that you do like challenges. Tell me about some of the people that have helped you, who've, who've been your biggest helpers and supporters. Uh, when I was in the hospital right after the accident, my wife was there all the time until she had to go to work. But uh, her mother, my mother, and two of her sisters would come up and spend time there when my wife couldn't be there. And that was a huge help. And then when I get home, my wife helped me a lot. I have a good friend that would come over and walk with me at the beginning just because I knew you get out and walk, he'd come over and we'd go walk around the block. So uh, I've been very fortunate when I, 20 years ago, uh, I found the church and found, became a, a believer and was baptized. And my church family responded. I was very humbled at how that happened. I was very humbled to find out how many places across the country I had prayers coming from. And I realized that it was only because of all those prayers that I was able to pull through like I did. What were some of the things that you learned about yourself during this process? Hmm. Uh, Learn that I can still be impatient (laughs) that I want to be able to do something and do it now. Mm -hmm. And there's so many things that I cannot do right now that it's, it took me a while to be able to stay calm Mm -hmm. when those things happen. Mm -hmm. And it showed me that you're hardest on the people closest to you and that I was and but that I did not want to be. Mm. 
That is really hard. So how has your uh, relationship with Sharon changed? That's hard to put to words. Um, she has accepted I've been, uh, I can't give her enough praise for what she did, what she's been through, what she has to go through on a daily basis. She helps me with little things every day, and that's just part of her day. But if I didn't have her there, my days would be a lot worse than they are. How have your kids and your grandkids responded to the new you? My kids have pretty much taken it for what it is. They, they've responded well. My grandkids, this is all they've ever known me as. They, they see my hook and my prosthetic, and that's not a regular hand. But they touch it and feel it, and okay. But they all also understand I can't pick them up. Right. They want to be picked up sometimes. I'm not the one that can do that. Hmm. Can they climb into your lap? They can, and okay. that's what they do. Okay, yeah, good, good, yes, because there is something delightful about having a wiggly child on your lap, no matter how they get there. Um, is this something you can laugh at or not yet? Which part? I the just, laughable they, they parts, enjoy, yes. yes. I, I imagine, I imagine that there are a lot of things that have surprised you um, and some things that, uh, you know, will be funny someday, are they yet? Just... Um, and think about how life has changed and how far you've come. One of the amazing, one of the uh, things that I struggled with and had to respond to after I got out of the hospital was that I had lost 75 pounds. Woohoo! See, anybody else would be so excited about that, but that not was your all way. muscle. All muscle. So I got out well, and, I, and I had no strength. I had, yes, lost both. Yeah. So I had no strength. So I, I got a prosthetic, but it was heavy. It was hard to use. Uh, I found a gym finally. It's called the NeuroFit Gym, uh, sponsored by the NeuroFitness Foundation. They cater to people who've had strokes, spinal cord injuries, other disabilities, amputations. I was able to get in there and connect to machines and able to use my muscles and rebuild some muscles. And as I gained more strength, life became easier. So without the gym, life, life was tough. I wouldn't be where I am now in the, as good mood as I am now if I hadn't been able to bring gain my strength. Mm -hmm. How soon was it before you felt comfortable going out and working out at a facility like No Fitness Gym? Uh, All dignity did, was gone. It didn't. It didn't take long yeah. at all. Um, the happened in eighteen, so it was in nineteen Some that I told away. that I told yeah that I told him I want to go to a gym. They bought me a membership at LA Fitness. I went in there and used the treadmill and used some of the core machines and wasn't able to do much else. Yeah. But 
then I had another surgery, so I had to stop going. And then I went back, and then I had another surgery, and I had to stop going. And then 2020 happened, oh. and a little thing called COVID. So my membership expired before I got to go back again. But like I said, thank goodness I found the NeuroFit gym and uh, everything from there. Well, I hear you saying that they have given a lot to you. You're embarking on a way to give back, and I'd love to have you tell I, about that. Last year, last February, I drove down to Livingston, which is just north of Houston, to attend a bowling tournament, fundraising tournament, put on by a bilateral amputee, another man missing both arms. He still bowls, and he still bowls competitively. So... I went down, tried it out. He actually let me borrow his attachment and one of his balls. I got to bowl in his tournament. And a couple months later, he mailed me that spare attachment. Wow. So I've been bowling league, been bowling for a year now. And I am helping the NeuroFit gym put on a bowling fundraiser uh, to help raise money to buy new equipment, to take care of the equipment we have. And that will be the first Saturday in August, August 6th this year. Okay, we'll have details for that up on our website, as well as a link where people can click to buy tickets to donate to the cause. And so we are celebrating that, and we're so grateful you're doing that. So go ahead and scare me. What's your bowling score? What's your average? Uh, Right now, it's... 155. Oh, come on. I can't even get to like 126, maybe 130. Oh, you're already out bowling me. I have had one miraculous game. Uh, I bowled a 130, I bowled a 150, but the nice. third game, because you bowl three games a week. Yeah. I made a few adjustments, got up and bowled a strike. Wow. Second strike, third strike, nice. tenth strike nice in a row nice in the 10th frame you got to bowl three balls right so i threw that second one real quick threw it wide only got three pins so i threw the last ball picked up the seven and scored a 283 whoa oh my gosh so people that want to get on your team need to click <laughs> now <laughs> that is amazing. and have not scored that high since yes but at least you have bragging rights on that one game as we close out our show today i'd love to hear you talk to people who have suffered trauma um maybe specific trauma like yours or just trauma of any kind what helped you get through it? How did you um, pick up the courage to keep going on? Why didn't you give up? I made the decision that I wasn't ready to be dead. I'm not ready to give up. I've, I need to move on. So that's what I did. It's been a struggle. But I have actually been called from the hospital to talk to some new patients that have had similar accidents. And I encourage them to not give up. They will get prosthetics. They will struggle to learn how to use them. They will struggle to use them. But if they don't give up, they'll be amazed at what they can still do. So that's my word to anybody that's had any kind of trauma is don't give up. You are still alive. Good. Well, and I think you're... 
recovery has been remarkable. If that was really fast, I, I would have thought you would have been in the hospital a lot longer, and yet you were only there three months, four? 75 days. Yeah. Less than yeah, three months. Yeah, less than three months, which is really remarkable considering 25% of your body uh, was a subject to the third degree burns. Yes. So, yeah, really, really remarkable. Um, as we close out the show today, is there anything you'd like people to see more clearly as a result of this conversation? No, just okay. uh, live life. Don't give up. Okay, thank you. And thank you for not giving up. Um, a lot of people in similar circumstances have. And it's just been a tragedy upon tragedy um, as they wasted away and as the loved ones who stood by helplessly and didn't, didn't know what to do, um, didn't have the power to do that, and you fought on for your wife, for your kids, for your grands, for the people that know and love you, for your church family. And I, for one, am very glad you did. I know the people at NeuroFit are too. So thank you so much for um, your valiant effort, and thanks for being a guest on our show today. No, thank you for having me. Thanks. It's been fun. You can get links for more information about JJ and the NeuroFit Gym in our show notes and on our website at nis.media. We'll provide easy access to the NeuroFitness Foundation page and the NeuroFit Gym, where you can find out more about their location and hours, their professional staff and facilities, and the variety of therapies and classes they offer. While you're on their site, again, neurofitnessfoundation.org, just click on the Events and Programs tab at the bottom of the page, and you'll be taken to the Neuro Bowling page, where you can sign up to compete, to sponsor an athlete or team, or simply give to the cause. We'll be highlighting opportunities to support the NeuroFit Gym from now till mid-August. The tournament will be held in Arlington, Texas, on Saturday, August 6th, from 11 a.m. to 3 p.m. at the AMF Spare Time Lanes. I'll be making an appearance because watching JJ throw strikes is something I'm just going to have to see to believe. If you're in the Dallas area, come on out, join the fun, and meet JJ and me there. We're so glad you were able to join us for today's compelling story. You can find out more about our guest today by reading our show notes or visiting our website, nis.media. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Special thanks to the team at Headset Radio for their technical expertise, and to Becky Salazar for our bumper music. See you next week.